Hey, Gabriel, what you, what you read? Oh, it's nothing. Just a little book. Oh, for real? What, 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 you, what you got there? What you, what you, what you reading on? Um, it's like, it's stupid. It's really nothing. Ah, you not going to tell me what it is? What you reading? It's just a romance novel. Ah, you reading one of them sex books, ain't you? Oh. Welcome to She Reads the Podcast. I'm your host, Gabby, here to talk all about my fave romance reads. Check back every Wednesday for your book of the week, recommendations on authors, series, being a bookie on a budget, and all things romance. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Um, I hope that you all had a really great rest of your Women's History Month. Um, we are now in the month of April. Yay, we made it, y'all. Um, I'm so excited because I think it's about to be warm outside because all these fucking ants keep appearing in my room, which means that nature has awoken. Um, and as a Chicagoan, I have been waiting um, my due diligence through this last hard, hard winter. Um, and I'm ready for the sun. I'm ready to free my legs from the purgatory of pants and tights and get that quick draft. Ugh, it's nothing like a, a nice cooling breeze on those gams in the summertime. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I hope everyone is um, excited as well. Tell me about your April Fools. Um, if anyone did a, did any April Fools jokes or scams, I always try and get my mom, and I always tell her that I'm pregnant, and she never believes me. And I feel like I've been pulling the same scam since I was like at least eighteen, um, and she never even questions it. Like it's never like, oh my god, are you serious? Like stop playing with me. She's like, oh girl, stop playing. It's April Fools. Like she immediately knows, and she's not really one of those people that pays attention to like dates. Um, so it is, it hurts my feelings, like, a little bit to, like, know that she doesn't even, like, she never even questions it. Um, I would like to at least get some credit. Who knows? Maybe this year I'll get her. Um, so this week we're actually going to be talking about two oldies but goodies. Um, one is a, um, fantasy novel and the other is, um, from one of my kimoni, kimoni, kimoni romance buys. Um, and yeah, I'm just, I've been feeling very nostalgic and as this weather warms up and I start getting a couple of hints of the sun rays, I want something that warms me up and these always just like hit me right in the heart and really, uh, yeah, they really get to me. So let's get into it. So the first book that I'm going to be talking about is, um, it's called Night of a Trillion Stars, and it's by Dara Joy, D-A-R-A Joy. Um, I really love this book. The first time I read it, I, it was like, I was like 13 or 14, my local library was closing, and I was like spending all my lunch money to go up in there and get like a bag of books, because they were only on sale for like a quarter. 
And this was one of my, like, impulse buys. Like, I never even read the back of it. Like, I never even knew what the synopsis was when I picked it out. Um, I was just literally on the book rampage. Like, I was like, I could buy any book that I want. I could get them all. And so I was just like, I'm going to go back every day and just get some more and more books until I have them all. And my collection will be complete like a crazy person. But, no, it was fantastic. Um, And I actually came across, like, some really great gems just by doing that. Um, and one of them was Dar Joy's um, Night of a Trillion Stars. So the book is about this girl. She's um, just this ordinary girl. Like, you know, she goes to work every day and she doesn't really have a lot going on in her life. But she does have friends like she uh, has an online community um, because she's like really into sci fi. And so she's pretty much alone in the world. Like she doesn't have any family. Um, and she lives alone. She's got a little cottage that was left to her by, like, you know, family and stuff like that. And the day starts off that she's just having, like, the shittiest of days. Um, like, you know, she sits and pee on the train. And, oh, my God. As <laughs> someone who takes public transportation, like, I cannot tell you that there is a bigger nightmare in my life. Like, I think that's my greatest fear, that I'm going to see a seat on a bus or a train. I'm going to go sit in it thinking that, oh, I was just so lucky. And then realizing that indeed I was not lucky and I'm sitting in somebody else's ways. Like, oh my God. I had a whole conversation with this about my co about this with my coworker. And she was just like, well, you know, it's not that bad. I'm like, cause I'm always like with hand sanitizer. And then she'd be like, well, you know, it's really not that bad. Like, you know, you can check to see if like the seat's wet. And I'm like, well, what? Like my hand? So then what? I'm just going to have a pee hand? Like, oh my God. Just the very thought of it, just the very thought of it, like makes me stressed even more. And I, I was feeling perfectly mellow when this whole thing started. So let's, let's, let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. So she, she sits in pee. Like, when she gets off of the train, um, and I believe she lives in Boston, so when she gets off of the train, she's, like, trying to get her car, but this huge accident happened, and so the damn... The, the accident is completely blocking her car in, so she cannot leave. So she's like, screw it, I'll just go into some thrift stop because it's now raining, like, downpour. And I don't think she, like, she had to throw away her raincoat because, remember, she sat in pee. And so now she's just in some weird little off-brand thrift shop in a shopping mall where she parked her car. And she's just waiting, you know, killing time. And she comes across this little innocuous-looking necklace and goes home, cleans it up, and is like, this is cute. Um, I want to say she started off her day getting fired, too. Like, it was, like, a really bad, like, one of those Alexander very bad, nothing good, horrible, like, terrible, very bad days. Like, it was a bad day. And so, you know, all she really has to look forward to is the sci-fi conference. She's just like, you know what? I didn't pay for everything. It's not refundable. That's that's cool. I didn't already put the money down. I'm finna still go go to vacation, vacate, turn up, have a good time. And so, you know, she just makes it home and she's like, it's one of those, oh, thank God I'm in the house. Like, oh, <laughs> right? And um, she's like going about her business. I think she's making popcorn and shit. And she comes back out in her living room and it's a man sitting in her room. Y'all, it's like a man sitting in her house. I... <sighs> 
I have seen way too many episodes of SVU to not feel like I would have a heart attack. And I know that this is all going to work out, right? Like, I've read the synopsis of the book by the time I started it, but I'm still like, what? There's a man in her house? Um, so, come to find out, if this this alien man, his name is Lorgan Te'al Crew, um, and he is from another universe in another galaxy, and he shows up there, and he thinks that he needs to protect her, and so her not really knowing anything other than he seems harmless, um, you know, accepts him into her life temporarily. It, the interesting thing is, at first, when she first saw his outfit, she was like, oh, this dude's clearly dressed like a sci-fi dude, like a pirate. And then she's like, oh, wait a minute. Did one of my friends set you up to, like, play a game on me? Like, she sits down and shit with him. Like, she finna kiki and like, so who put you up to <laughs> Like, he's like, girl, what are you talking about? Um, so, you know, um, she ends up taking him with her to the San Francisco. That's what he calls it. Um, he reminds me so much of Starfire from Teen Titans Go, um, or just Teen Titans in how she's, like, she understands Earth English, like, she understands English, but she puts the article before everything in a very formal manner and sometimes in ways that it doesn't make sense. So, like, in the beginning, like, she's screwing with him and she's being real sarcastic. He's like, where are we? And she was like, SS Milky Way. And then he was like, on what planet? And she was like, Disneyland. And so he calls it the Disney. So, <laughs> yeah, like, it's funny how, like, he talks and stuff like that because he, he understands the English. She understands the language, but there are certain, there's always those things like nuances and slang and terminology and cultural, cultural references that people just don't get. So she ends up bringing him with her to her conference and, you know, they're hanging out. She thinks it's all fun and good. Not really understanding what she's going to do with this alien dude when she gets back home, but just, you know, YOLO. And... He ends up seeing her in the necklace that she innocuously found. And he, like, blows back into the room. And he's got on his cape and shit, his original pirate outfit with his boots and whatnot. And she, you know, they have this weird little exchange. And then all of a sudden, he takes her back up to the hotel room, opens up a portal, and now she is in a whole new world. Um... So, why do I love this book? I think it's really hilarious. There are just so many random things that I love about this book. So, for instance, there is a race of people called familiars, and one of them happens to be his half-brother named Rajar. And so, when Rajar's character first becomes present in the book, you, you're introduced to him as a very large black hat. It's a very large black cat. And Deanna, our main character, she will tell him stuff not realizing that he's an actual person. And so when she finally does meet him, she's like shocked out of her mind. And then she doesn't even realize who he is. She's like, who's this strange guy that's in our cave right now? And then she was like, he wasn't even wearing any clothes. And then she was like, and then he rolled over and she realized why, because he was too sexy for his shirt. Like, you know, just really goofy stuff like that. It's really weird for some my reason Lorgan never says her name like when she introduces herself to him he was like what's your name and she's like my name's Deanna Jones and then he's like add Deanne and she was like 
no. And then she's probably thinking, like, he's got some type of weird alien dyslexia. And then she's like, no, it's Deanna. And then he's like, Ann. Okay, cool. Let's keep going on. <laughs> like, like, he's just very, he's very hilarious. Like, um, he's sort of like a Casanova in a sense. But he's also, like, just really silly sometimes. But you don't always get that because his character comes off so serious. Um, I love Dara Joy's world that she created. I think that's the thing that I love the most about fantasy writers, especially ones who don't stick to the average genre of, like, oh, here we go, here's some vampires. They are the undead, you know, they've got to suck your blood and blase wee and they can't go out in the sun. Not to say that I have anything against the average vampire um, setup. I definitely don't, but I love that fantasy writers, like, the ones who go hardcore, they have to do so much more. So they have to create storylines. They have to create planets. They've got to create races of people who have, you know, supreme uh, talents. They, they've got to create terminology and, and they've got to create a culture, basically. And in Nine of a Trillion Stars, I feel like we go on several different worlds. Like, we start off on Earth and then we end up on, like, this weird cave uh, planet that's got, like, all these tunnels. And then um, we end up, like, on, like, I want to say the name of the planet is Zatar, but for some odd reason, that feels like it's definitely something out of either, like, a Marvel movie or a Star Wars movie, so I'm not, don't quote me on it. Um, and then, then they go to Aviara, which is, like, Lorgan's home, and so it's just so many different journeys that they make, and so in each of these different places, something new is happening, there's a different culture, there's a different way of life, people are responding in certain ways, like, in certain areas, in certain planets, and, and places that they go to, like, slave trades are, are acceptable, and some aren't, and, you know, like, it, it, it's just so well thought out. I think everything that people love about, like, you know, Star Wars and Game of Thrones is, like, we're not formatting on any basis of what we usually think things are. Like, this is a whole new setup. And I just really, really love that. Um, So, Lorgan ends up on Earth because he goes into this portal, um, and his goal is he has a quest, right as all great you know knights of the galaxy have to have he's on a quest and you know diana uh diana is more like a detour um but you know it's really special so spoilers when they do this little weird ceremony and diana fully participates in it but doesn't really understand all the nuances of it basically gets married but she's not aware of that. Like <laughs> she <laughs> she thinks that they're just, you know, having a having a goof, having some fun. Um, and so she thinks that her and Lorgan are just going on an adventure. And she's like, you know, Lorgan, when this is all over and the quest is done, you're gonna take me home, right? And he's like, Of course I'm gonna take you home, Addie Ann. And he's like, in his mind, I'm taking you home to Aviar, because that's where we live now, boo. And she's thinking, Oh, he's gonna drive me back off at Earth. And so, you know, they're all just walking around here at cross purposes, not really understanding things. Um, At one point, you know, they're trying to get um, who we later find out is Lorgan and Rajar's cousin, um, Treyad, to come back home because his dad, Theardar, has, like, 
some type of stone. And he's like a mystical wizard. He's a Charl. And that's like their magic, their magic people, I want to say. Like, I wouldn't say that they're like, if if I had to put it in terms of Harry Potter, I wouldn't call them Aurors. I mean, while they do serve the greater good, it's not like they serve the greater good, but everybody else has access and, and is able and capable of doing magic. Like, it's not always the case. And then there are different levels. So, like, Lorgan is a level four mystic, which means that he has control over the the elements. Maybe it's five. I think it's four. I think he's four. And so, like, when they're on the plane to San Francisco, he starts fucking around with the weather and shit, making it turbulent and whatnot. Um, and, you know, Deanna's, like, freaking out, and he can, like, make heat wind like hot wind with his hands like you know your own your own centralized blow dryer type thing so yeah he Lorgan's on a quest to stop the Ardar and that just happens to be Trad's dad and Trad and his father have had like really a strange relationship like their whole life because Trad the Ardar blames Trad for the death of his mother but what we don't know until towards the end of the book and once again spoilers is that Trad's mom was Lorgan's auntie, but she had like taken a vow. She was like a tan sheet. I don't know if that's the right word. Anyway, she was just like kind of like a nun. She's she was basically like a spiritual nun of their culture or what have you. And so they swear like a vow of, you know, chastity and whatnot. And Theardar knew this, but he still absconded with her and he still got her pregnant. And she knew like when she had the baby that when she gave birth to Trayad, she was going to die, too. But, you know. Mamas be sacrificing. And so she chose to, you know, give her child life and end hers. Very, very, you know, very rose quartz of her. And, you know, the Ardar never got over it. But I'm like, bruh, but you wasn't even supposed to be with her from jump. She definitely chose, you know, she definitely chose like chastity over you. So, you know, it's all that family drama. And that was kept under the low low. And so it's just like a lot going on, you know, Lorgan and Deanna being married, Deanna not knowing about it the whole time, them having to consummate their marriage because there's this whole thing called the transference. And, you know, you know, they're trying to travel to go get Treyas so they can stop the Yardar on the way to their quest. But it's all type of like six-headed, like, you know, beast thingies trying to kill them and slavers trying to snatch Deanna because she seems exotic with her red hair. Like, it's so much going on in this book y'all like I I haven't even be I feel like I still haven't even hit all the layers of it like all the really hilarious and funny moments the cool creatures and the different languages and and, and customs and uh you know one of my favorite characters in the book his name is Yanif he's a level 12 or he's a level 12 mystic he's like really old and at one point like when uh, Lorgan is trying to like explain to Deanna um, 
you know, like the prophecy about him and why he feels like they belong together and stuff like that. Because Deanna's like all up in her brain, like, no, we shouldn't be together. Um, I'm not the special girl that you think I am and I don't have any powers. And he's like, yes, bitch, you do. So um, when he's like telling her the story, you know, he was like, and that person was Yanif. And she was like, what? But you said like that was like a thousand years ago. And he was, she was like, he was like, yeah, it was. And she's like, wow, <laughs> you know, like, man, this is such a great story. Yeah, it's old as shit. So I just really liked it. I just really liked it. I thought it still has so much fun in it. It was it was funny. It made me giggle. I was like, you know, in wonder in some moments. I was shocked in others. I didn't know what was gonna happen from one moment to the next. Um, and I it kept me it kept me engaged the entire time through. So I definitely definitely recommend this. Um. And it does have several more books in the series. Um, Dara Joy is not really great about staying on top of these. So she came out with this one. And then the second book, which is Rajar, and it's titled Rajar. And then the third one, which is a book called Mind to Take. And it follows uh, Rajar's uncle on his mama's side. And then um, just some other smaller, shorter books that are um, like... I want to say novellas because they're very brief, but they just kind of like follow up with it. And I kind of wish that she had just been more consistent in ending it out because other than that, I thought it was great. Now, I will say this for one thing. There is a theme in the books that I feel like I keep getting, which is that in certain moments of when the women are being defiant or I guess what the guys think are needlessly foolish, um, they have to like overcome the woman by sexual torment. Um, And it always just is like, you know, he was just like giving her orgasm after orgasm all night long until he had her under submission. And I'm just like... I don't know. I don't know if I love that tone. I don't know if I'm jealous of that. Like, no one's ever, like, used sex to subdue me. Maybe it's great. Maybe it's happened to her in real life. Maybe she understands the value of it. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, because one of them... And one of them, like, the the heroine is clearly, like, rattled. And she's like, I got to get the hell away from this motherfucker. And so she, like, attempts to leave. And he catches her. And he realizes that, you know, he's like, I've been treating her the way that I would treat a woman of my own race. And that's not really fair to her. And I have to understand and meet her in a different way and be gentler. And he definitely does apologize. And so I, I guess there is that. Like, you see these men, and they're very, like, alpha males. And um, they feel like, you know, it's their right to, like, make these decisions without consultation. And then here you have this very, like, headstrong, forceful woman who's just like, okay, I heard what you said, and that D was good, but what you're not going to do is tell me what to do. Like, and I really I really do like that um, tone that it does take. And throughout the book, you definitely see the man um, and the men in the, the roles like gentle themselves and, and learn how to be more verbally expressive and more considerate and trusting and open with their, their, their counterparts, which I do really like. So, and of course there is time, you know, and 
if there's anything that Gaz loves, it's a slow build. So, as you know. So, yeah. And and it definitely takes its time. Like, I never feel like she's rushed. Um, I feel like everything that the characters go through always, like, builds more on their relationship. And so there are always these new facets, um, which I really like. And I do like the side relationships, too. Like, Deanna isn't always just 100% caught up in Lorgan. Like, you know, she meets... Um, you know, her new mother-in-law and her new father-in-law. And she's cool with Yanif. She go visit Yanif and shit. Like, she walking around the woods and shit. She's like, where the fuck does Yanif live? I'm about to go, bi- I'm about to go visit him. Um, and even, like, Rajar stops by. I was like, hey, girl, I just wanted to hang out with you because, you know, we ain't really kicked it since we was on that quest when we was trying to go get Trey ass. So, like, what's up, bitch? She's like, hey, Rajar, what's up? You know, um, and I just really think that those are cute. Like, I, I really appreciate those moments. And I appreciate the moments where Lorgan consults with Yanif because Yanif is clearly wiser. He's, like, a billion years old. Um, and he gives Lorgan advice and he teaches him how to better think things through. Like, there's one moment where Lorgan finds out some information about Addie Ann, and he gets really frustrated and angry with her. And then, you know, Yanif is like, stop and think about it and think about the... Sh- think about what this means and think about all the things that this is telling you, like all the all the facets of the situation. And then Lorgan, taking a beat, stop thinking about it. Like, oh man, I didn't even think about it that way. Oh, well now I'm actually really happy. So, um, yeah. I really loved it. I I highly recommend checking it out. Um, and yeah, we'll be right back. All right, so the second oldie but goodie is um it is called Recipe for Temptation. It's by Maureen Smith. It's from the Kimani romance set from June 2010. Um, and it's part of, like, their Kimani Hotties series. So they have, like, these little, you know, they've got these books where it's just, like, about, like, real fine-ass men, right? <laughs> um, and so they, like, dubbed them the uh, the Kimani. It's all about uh, the hotties. It's all about our men. Um, and so... This book is, um, it follows the story of Dr. Reese St. James, doctor, um, and it is about her and this man named Michael Wolf. So Michael Wolf is this hotshot, like, sexy chef. He's got his own TV show. He's got restaurants all over the country. He's got book deals. Like, he's got hella cookbooks out. Like, he's just out here. Like, he's just living his fine, fine-ass life. Um, and here comes Reese. You know, she's a guy not, she's a, 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 Obi-Gyne, um, and I want to say she's a surgeon. She lives in Houston. And, you know, she's been working, and she's been living her life, and she's, you know, been successful and everything. But then she has a very devastating loss. Like, the book literally starts off as her losing one of her patients. And so this is really rough for her because, you know, she's known this patient through all of her other pregnancies. And, you know, it was started off as a very routine, you know, C-section, and then things got out of control. And so this is really, like, traumatic for her. Um, I don't really think she's lost any other patients um, just by the way that her response is. But also, you know, there's a depth of emotion and connection with her and this client, I mean, in this patient, because, you know, she's been with her through all of her other pregnancies. So, you know, that might have been her first, you know, real patient relationship 
relationship uh, right after, right out of med school and, you know, all that stuff. So she takes an opportunity to take some sabbatical, uh, take a sabbatical and take some time away and goes to stay in Atlanta house sitting for her friend who's like, I want to say in Libya or some shit or Somalia on like a National Geographic. I don't know. Anyway, her friend's out of town, so she's got a nice little place to stay in. And she's there and she decides to go to Michael Wolf's restaurant because, you know, on the side, all she does to do is cook. Like if she wasn't a doctor, she'd be cooking or she'd be like a food critic or something like that. And so she's like in love with him, um, you know, like one of those celebrity crushes that go real hard. And so... You know, she's eating out at his restaurant and she's just enjoying herself. You know, she's just a single. Well, she's not really single. I'll get back to that. She's, you know, know, she's just a lone woman sitting down, fine and shit, having a solo dinner um, and just really enjoying the food and the experience and stuff like that. And she ends up uh, being approached by none other than Michael Wolf. He walks up to her table and, you know, she's like all awestruck and shit like that. And, you know, they get to talking and they flirt and she ends up inviting him back to her home. Although I wouldn't necessarily say that she really invited him back, but she did say like, well, if you're not busy, you can give me a ride home. Now, I know that there was some innuendo in that. Like, she in her mind was like, I'm about to fuck him, right? (laughs) Like, even though she has a boyfriend. So, you know, she has this dude, Victor, back home, but, you know, they haven't really been, like, hitting it off for a while. And she feels like there's distance, so she asks him for space and before she leaves she's like you know maybe this is some time for us to think about whether or not we really want to be a part of this relationship and he's just like you're running away from your problems and she's just like no no I'm not I just need the space and I need this break and I need you to respect that um and she you know her and Michael make it back to her place and she, they're hot and heavy, and then all of a sudden she puts the brakes on it because she realizes that it's not right to sleep with him when she still has a boyfriend. And so she cuts it off, and he has such a freaking attitude. Now, mind you, one of his maitre d's did tell him that she said her name was something else and that she was, like, a food critic, and he thought that she was using this as a way to, like, I don't know. I don't even really understand what what the hell was going to happen with that. Like, I don't know if she expected that... He thought she expected to have better treatment or whatever. I literally just read this. Like, I literally just read this. Like, I want to say I finished this Friday, and it is now Saturday. So, yesterday I finished this. But I still don't really get why he was that mad. Um, Anyway, he got an attitude, and they got into an argument, and then, you know, he slams out and leaves, and you know, she gives him, like, a really good, like, F you type of thing, and, you know, she thinks that they're done. She's like, I'm burn this motherfucker's book. Like, she's mad. Um, Come to find out, he has, like, an apprenticeship competition on his show for his next season, and she's one of the top ten finalists. Um, And then when she comes on the show, like, everybody loves her, and, you know, he doesn't want to be the one that's like, no, I don't want to work with her, even though we have all these irreconcilable differences. And so she ends up coming onto the show, and because they're spending all this time together... 
you know, she's like, I want to make us be cool for this show. And then they have like this fun filled day. And the next thing you know, she's like meeting his family and at all these parties and they've taped this whole season and she's been gone all this time. And so, yeah, things that I love about this, um, I the two I also love the humor in it. Maureen Smith is really good about making things like love like bringing the levity. Like I love their arguments. It's so passionate. And neither one of them stops themselves from being petty. Like they're just outrageous. And I think I love that because that's exactly how I would argue. Um like literally they have their one I mean I think I'm gonna read an excerpt from that. It's not even gonna be sexy. I just want to I just want y'all to see how funny it is. Like she's arguing with him and he calls her and he's like trying to apologize for the way he treated her the night before and then he's like yeah well you know they 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 end up getting back into another argument and then he says something he's like okay well whatever miss saint james she's like good doctor saint james and i'm like that's right Put some respect on my damn name, okay? Um, and so I love, I love how passionately they argue with each other. I really do. Um, the one thing I don't love is that it was very short in their time. Like, I just don't feel like it seemed like it was a lot of time between when they first got together and then when, you know, the proposal came, right? Because it it always ends in the proposal. Although for me, I honestly would just be happy if they ended it on a I'm in love with you type thing. I'm in love with you too. And then, you know, epilogue. God, I just, and I don't know if they didn't do an epilogue because this also is a part of a series. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe that's why Maureen did it that way. I I, I can't say. But um, so if I, all I know is it, it just seemed like it was brief. And you know I love the build. So I, I wish that I'd gotten, I don't know, even the impression that they'd had more time together. Because it seemed like it was less than two months. And less than two months to be engaged just seems like, oh, such a short time to me. Like, I don't care how much time y'all are spending together. Like, it just, it, there's no way. So, yeah, what I do love is Maureen, girl, she she is no problem bringing in the sex. And when I say sex, I mean sex. And it is hot, right? Like, hot, hot. Like, I promise you, it seems like every time these two have sex, they're on some surface that is not a bed. Like, I honestly don't think, now that I'm really sitting here thinking about it, I feel like they wake up in bed, but I don't feel like I've, I ever experienced them having sex in a bed in this book. Like, any scenes that they're doing it, they're literally either in public, like, outside, or, <laughs> like, in a public area that just happens to be closed, or, like, you know, like a foyer or something like that, a gazebo, a kitchen, like, it's just never really in the bed. And I just, I love the adventurousness of the whole thing, you know? Like, 
it just is really unexpected. Um, I do love the depth of the characters. I feel like I didn't get as much with Reese. Like, it's clear that she has, like, her family and, you know, she had that whole thing with Victor and, you know, her sister and stuff like that who just happens to be married to a colleague, a former colleague of Michael's. Um, I feel like it's very sparse on her. Like, I don't even know if her parents are alive. And, I mean, is she, you know, it's, uh, there are mentions to her family, but I just, it doesn't even say who those people are. Like, it's never even anyone specific. It's just, like, family and friends. And for Michael, like, you know, his whole background, like, you know, when he was younger, his mama left his daddy, who was, like, a police officer, like, a detective for this hotshot surgeon. So she left him, and she left her boys, and the boys growing up, like, the youngest one, Marcus, walked in on her. You know, like, Marcus is married to Samara and she's got they got twin boys and Samara's sister mom is Asha and apparently her mom was like not a good mom and so like there's all this development for like Michael's side of his family and his background and so I feel like I know so much about him and I feel like I know literally nothing about Reese and like I said, it is part of the series, and the series seems to be following the wolf men. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case, but I do still wish that there had been like a little bit more character development for Reese, because I think she's such an interesting person, um, and she's very nuanced. I wish that her breakup with Victor had been... I don't know. It just seemed very lackluster. It was, like, so brief. It was, like, she was at the hospital. She called him, and he was, like, nah, I saw the show already. You can bump that. I know we ain't going to be no, we ain't together no more. Peace out. And I don't know. I feel like it was the cheater's way out because I I felt like, you know, she kind of deserved to have to go through that, like, that whole that whole awkwardness and that whole painful scene because you were cheating on him. Like, granted, you asked him to give you your space and he definitely did not respect your boundaries. And it was super clear that, you know, there were issues between her and Victor that she needed to resolve either way. Like, Michael's presence did not... I don't think he affected the outcome of their relationship. Like, I felt like, as the reader, their relationship was already doomed. She was just building up the energy and, you know, she was just building up, you know, that, let me get this over with type of thing. She was just building into her fed up. And so I feel like she was going to break up with him either way. So for me, I just wish that it had been the full experience because it just seemed like it was such an easy way out. Also, the reason that there's like this momentary, you know, in every story, there's got to be that we we think we're in love, but then, oh no, this wonderful, this horrible thing happens and I feel so betrayed and now he's got to win me back type of thing. And I felt like, and this may be, this, this is a spoiler, y'all. I felt like it just was so, such a quick jump thing, right? So... Um, she overhears a conversation between Michael and his, his like, director or his producer or whatever. And the guy's like, yeah, you know, they saying that they might want to keep Reese on for longer than just this season. Um, what do you, like, everybody's crazy about her. And he go, and Michael just flippantly goes, oh, yeah, well, you know, 
of course, with those ratings, I'm definitely crazy about her or something like that. And she was just like, oh, I'm nothing to him but ratings. This was all for just the show. Let me run off and go home to Houston and drown my sorrows until I have to come back for this final taping where I have to, like, say goodbye to this love forever. And I'm just like, girl, it wasn't even all that. Like, had it... I just can't imagine myself being in that situation, even feeling unsure about our relationship because, you know, they haven't had a DTR. And, you know, why would you? Why would you want to clarify things and put everything out on the table and lay it all down so that there is no confusion about where you two are as a couple? You know, why not define things? Like, why would you want to have clarity? Why not be confused all the fucking time, right? So... Um, instead of them having a DTR, you know, I feel like they've been tiptoeing around their feelings for each other, whatever is the development and where they see it going past the time that they were going to be together. And granted, if it was just about to be like a run too quick thing, that's fine. But Reese, you were out here looking at jobs in Atlanta. So it's not like you hadn't considered that there was going to be some longevity to you and Michael's relationship. If that was the case, you should have opened your mouth and said something. Michael, if you was feeling like she was an ever type of girl, you should have open your mouth and say something. Have a conversation. D-T that motherfucking R. That's all I'm saying, right? So DTM, TM. Um, so yeah, I felt like had I been in her situation, I don't think I would have jumped to that same conclusion. But then again, without having had a DTR, there's there it's very easy to misinterpret hearing something in just like offhand conversation. But that's what you get for ear hustling as well because, again, you did not get the entire conversation. And I know that I'm talking to her as if Reese was a real person and me and her having a conversation, but that's just where I was in that moment. Like, I was like, I was so frustrated because I'm like, you're blowing this way out of proportion. First of all, you didn't even hear the whole conversation. You heard that one snippet. You took it out of fucking proportion and then you blew it up without having any fucking context. And now you sitting over here like you're such a wounded character. Like, oh my God, I can barely make it out there he's been looking at me all sweet and like you know giving me these love eyes and my heart is just silently breaking like girl you put yourself through all this fucking stress for nothing right um so yeah bringing it back in bringing it back in um outside of that I feel like outside of those like minor things um I do really love this book and there's another romance inside of this romance right I love a good little twofer so I'm not gonna tell you because I want you to read the book but you know definitely check it out tell me what you think I'd love to hear y'all's thoughts about either of the books um especially Night of a Trillion Stars because I want to say that's definitely in my top 50 top 100 top top 50 top 50 I give it top 50 um so yeah <clears throat> let me know and we will be right back with the excerpt of the week so now it's time for the excerpt since I did two longer reviews this week I'm actually going to give you two excerpts um, so the first one is from Maureen Smith's Recipe for a Temptation um, and I wanted to just give you I said as I said before I really love their fight scenes I really just love it when they argue with each other and so um, I'm going to read from one of their first fights so just to set it up 
um, Reese and Michael are actually at her friend's house and they've been making out on her foyer table and she has pulled the brakes on it and so she's like you know I can't do this I'm kind of I'm sorry I don't want to get into the why but I'm just not I'm not here for this and so Michael gets like an attitude and he starts to like come at her all sideways and so this is just like right in the middle of their conversation where he's like basically you lied and said that she was a food critic and you know you a hustling ass bitch or something like that um so yeah let's get right into it striving for composure she said evenly look there must be some misunderstanding I never claimed to be a food critic. My major D seems to think otherwise. Then he's mistaken. Is he? Michael challenged, his eyes narrowing on hers. So what about that line you fed me in the car? The one about any food critic worth her salt knowing that multiple visits to a restaurant are necessary to write fair reviews. Weren't you implying that you're a food critic? No, I was just flirting with you. Struck by a sudden realization, Reese eyed him incredulously. Wait a minute. Are you suggesting that I pretended to be a restaurant critic just to get your attention? I think that's obvious. No, it's ridiculous. You must be out of your damn mind, said the pot to the kettle. Reese glared at him. If you think I'm such a nutcase, why did you agree to drive me home? What does that say about you? His expression hardened. Hardened. I plead temporary insanity. Trust me, it won't happen again. Without another word, he spun on his heel and stalked to the front door. Reese charged after him, her chest heaving with fury. No way was she letting him have the last word. I know this may not be hard for you to accept, you arrogant son of a bitch, but you're not God's gift to women. Believe it or not, there are a few of us who are perfectly capable of resisting your charms. Pausing at his car door, Michael glared back at her, his eyes hard and glittering in the night. Reese wasn't finished. I'm so glad I found out what an asshole you are before I wasted another second of my time watching your damn show. And you want to know something else? I've always liked Bobby Flay better anyway. Before Michael could respond, she slammed the door hard enough to give the neighbors something to talk about. As far as she was concerned, being fodder for gossip was a small price to pay for the sweet satisfaction of having the last word with Michael. After the abominable way he treated her tonight, she'd take whatever victory she could get. Um, so that is <laughs> that is that for that um part of the excerpts. I really hope that you all take some time to read this. It is such a quick read, and I do recognize that Kimani definitely seems like they got to keep it under 215 pages. Like, as I scroll through this, it's got to be like, it's got to be like 215 or, or, or no go. Um, and so they are definitely under some restrictions as to how many pages they can get in. Um, and so I do, I do take note of that when, you know, I'm making my judgments about whether or not the book was too brief. Now we're actually going to do a sexier excerpt. Um, and this is from Night of a Trillion Stars by Dara Joy. So just to set this up, um, 
Deanna and Lorgan are now in San Francisco. They just arrived um, and they are staying in the hotel. So when she goes to try and get her room, which she had already reserved, um, they were like, yeah, we don't have any more twin beds. And so Lorgan, being his imperious self, was like, well, let's get the king bed. And then he, she's like, well, no, we want two double beds. He's like, am I not a knight of the charl of the fourth level mystic worthy of a king bed? And so he just kind of like browbeats her into it. And she's just like, I don't have time to argue with this motherfucker. Like he's already extra. So she just kind of goes along with the flow. So they, this is their, after their first night in the hotel room, um, she has gotten like super frightened and like squeaked herself into bed. Um, and I do mean squeak because she, you know, she probably did one of those really nervous, yeah. Um, and so, you know, Lorgan went to bed. He's like buck ass nude because he has literally no shame. Um, and he's like, I'm fine as shit. Like, I don't need no girl to tell me that. And he's like, I know she want me. So, yeah, this is kind of this is kind of how they've been, you know, dealing with uh, things the last couple of days. So this is literally they've gone to bed and this is like the wake up. Her pillow was so warm and smelled so cleanly of sandalwood. She cuddled her cheek against the satin down, loving the smooth, taut feel of it against her skin. Sandalwood? She blinked her eyes and stared into golden amber chest. Oh no, please no. Worse than that, in her sleep, her nightgown had ridden up to her waist and her leg, probably looking for warmth, had insinuated itself between his thighs his naked thighs. She didn't want to know where her knee had been rubbing against. And if that wasn't enough of a situation, she felt two large, toasty hands cupping her bottom inside her bikini underwear. She didn't move a muscle, praying he was still asleep and she could slowly untangle herself from him. Haltingly, she raised her head, apprehensively lifting her eyes to his face. Lavender eyes burned down on her, sparking with passionate flame. I'm in a fix here, she thought, swallowing. Lorgan knew the instant she had awakened. He had been waiting patiently for her to do so for some time. It had not been easy. The woman had been rubbing and cuddling against him like a baby Xena. He had no intention of wasting the opportunity. He swiftly dipped his head to claim her mouth. She tried to squirm away. Not to be denied this time, he held her fast. Leaning toward her, he chose first to lightly brush his lips across her closed mouth, back and forth several times to leave no doubt in her mind who was in control, who would always be in control. He had not liked her thinking she could order him about like some untried youth. He was a seasoned warrior, a knight of the child, that she knew it and know it well. He paused to regard her silently, with smoldering eyes for several minutes. Her frightened gaze locked with his. Diana thought he must hear her heart pounding in her chest. This man is dangerous. She was terrified of his strength, of his power over her, of his alienness. But most of all, she was terrified of his uncompromising masculinity. So, 
I am going to stop it right there um, and let you all pick it up. Um, I really, really love this book. So I would love to hear um, any of your thoughts about what you thought about it and how you felt, um, if you agreed or if you had some other opinions. So class starts back next week. So pray for me, y'all. I will be on the struggle bus, but um, I will be excited to get more episodes out to you. And don't forget to email me information is at the end and i will see you all next week bye you can find she reads the podcast on itunes and soundcloud for questions comments or new book suggestions email me at she reads the podcast at gmail.com or hit me up on twitter or facebook just search she reads the podcast and don't forget to follow or subscribe Production was produced by Power Voice Media. Visit powervoicemedia.com for more info.